A reading from the book of Psalms. See how good, how pleasant it is for God's people to live together as one. It is like precious oil on Aaron's head, running down on his beard, running down to the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Mount Hermon falling on the hills of Zion, for that is where Yahweh bestows the blessing, life that never ends. This is one of our sacred psalms. A reading from the first book of the prophet Samuel, chapter 17. Once more, the Philistines, old enemies of Israel, rallied their forces for war. They gathered in Judah, so Saul and the Israelites also mustered their troops and met them. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another. The valley lay between them. A nine-foot-tall champion known as Goliath came out of the Philistine camp. He wore a bronze helmet and bronze armor plates that weighed 125 pounds. He wore a bronze javelin slung over his back with a spear shaft that could serve as a weaver's rod. The iron point alone weighed 15 pounds. The champion, standing before his forces, shouted to the ranks of the Israelites, Today I defy your ranks, Israelites. Choose one of your best warriors to come down to me. If he defeats me in a fair fight, we will be your subjects. But if I overcome your warrior, you will become ours. Morning and evening for 40 days, the Philistine came forward and challenged the Israelites. On hearing the Philistines' challenge, Saul and the Israelites were terrified. Now David was the youngest of eight sons. His three oldest brothers had followed Saul into battle, and when David wasn't delivering food to his brothers on the battlefield, he was tending his family's sheep in Bethlehem. He was on his way to the battle line one day to greet his brothers when he heard Goliath's daily taunt. When the Israelites saw the champion, David saw them fall back in fear. Look at this champion who comes out daily to defy Israel, they said. Saul will give a rich reward to the person who kills him. He will also give a daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from service due to Israel. David asked the warriors nearby, what is to be done for the one who kills the Philistine and wipes out this disgrace? And who is this, this uncircumcised Philistine to defy the army of the living God? Saul will give them a rich reward, they said, and his daughter in marriage. The victor's family would be exempt from any service due to Israel. David's big brothers overheard him and rebuked him for empty bravado, sending him back to the sheep. Others, however, carried the message of David's bravery back to Saul, who sent for him. In an audience with Saul, David said, Don't anyone lose heart. I will fight the Philistine. Saul replied, you cannot go up to fight against this Philistine. You are just a lad. This man has been fighting his entire life. I am my father's shepherd, David told him. Whenever a lion or a bear carries off one of our flock, I go after it, attack it, and rescue the sheep from its jaws. Then, if it turns on me, I seize it by its fur, strike it, and kill it. I have killed scores of lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine will fare no better than they, for he has defied the ranks of the living God. Go then, said Saul, and may Yahweh go with you. Saul put his own tunic on David, placed a bronze helmet on his head, and gave him a coat of mail to wear. 
Then Saul fastened his sword on David over the tunic. But David held back, saying, I can't go in these. I'm not used to them. So David took them off. David took up, took up only his sap, his sling, and five smooth stones from the stream. With his sling in hand, he went out to meet the Philistine. The Philistine approached David. He looked David over, up and down, and had nothing but disdain for the lad with the ruddy cheeks and bright eyes. And he said, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And he cursed David in the name of his gods, saying, Come, I will give your flesh to the birds and the beasts. David was not intimidated. He answered, You come against me with sword, spear, and dagger, but I come against you in the name of Yahweh, omnipotent, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you insulted. Today, Yahweh will deliver you into my hands, for I will strike you down and cut off your head and leave your carcass to the birds of the air and the beasts of the wilderness. The whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. When the Philistine moved closer to attack, David ran quickly to engage him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he put it into his sling, slung it, and struck the Philistine on the forehead, and it was over. Goliath fell face down onto the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine without even so much as a sword, and the armies of the Philistines fell. This is one of our sacred stories. In the center of the camp, in a tent protected by ranks of the nation's bravest, I tried in vain to don my battle armor. The problem, of course, was that it wasn't really mine. I didn't exactly fit the regal mold of its owner. Outside, they wore armor and carried swords. I wore tunics. I carried a staff. Any sermon you've heard about my story probably starts there. They've probably told you about how when things seem tough, you can trust God to overcome the Goliaths in your life, right? Whatever that means. It's not like I wasn't well-equipped, like a sling and a stone couldn't bring down a bear or a lion or a full-sized Philistine. A miracle isn't really required. I'd seen it done dozens of times, had done it myself to protect a flock. I don't know why people insist that God had to have something to do with it, with making a slingshot a deadly weapon. In fact, the older I get, the less I think that God had anything to do with any of it. The older I get, the more I wonder how we can tell this story and pretend that somehow God was on board with murder, somehow sanctioning a slaughter. My favorite is when I see it in children's books and Sunday school classes. Gather around, kids. Hear the story about when God helped me murder a man with a slingshot. Anyway, you all know the story. There I was, looking stupid, chain mail hanging down past my knees, a bronze helmet, so, bronze helmet so heavy I couldn't keep my head straight, getting ready for the battle that would forge my legacy. But you don't know the whole story. Your scriptures tell you about the armor, about the fight, 
They don't tell you about the stranger. They don't tell you about how he just appeared on the couch in that tent, totally unnoticed by the guards outside, how he scared the bejesus out of me. They don't tell you because nobody knows that story but me. Never told a soul. To tell the truth, I've been too ashamed at how foolish I was, at how right the stranger turned out to be about everything. So I've kept it to myself until now. Because now I wonder if maybe you knew you would tell the story differently. Maybe if you knew what he said to me, you could succeed, or I couldn't. So there I was, fooling around with that armor, and after a while I just gave up. I muttered to myself that I didn't think this was going to work. Imagine my surprise then when a voice from nowhere agreed with me. Of course it's not going to work, it said. This whole thing, to tell you the truth, is a very stupid idea. Well, I spun around to find a man about my age, about my height, sitting on the couch in the middle of the tent. He was just sitting there, watching, his elbows on his knees. And it occurred to me that this could well be a Philistine spy sent to pick me off before the fight. I reached for my sword, but only actually succeeded in tripping over my armor onto the floor. Careful with that thing, the stranger said. It is sharp. I slunk out of the armor and I stood up, looking at this guy. I demanded to know who he was and what he was doing there. There on the couch next to him was my sling, and I looked at it helplessly. But he followed my gaze. I thought he was going to pick it up, to hold it hostage or use it against me, but instead, he tossed it to me. Here, he said, I'm not here to fight, David, just to talk. And he held up his hands to show me he was unarmed. I didn't like that he knew my name, but I did like that I had my sling back. How did you get in here? I asked again. How do you know my name? And this man, he just waves me off. He tells me not to worry about it. He stands up and he tells me he's come to me with a message. And he looked at me for a minute and then he said it. He said those words that I've thought of a thousand times since that day. Those words that, had I only listened, might have changed everything. Don't do it, he tells me. Don't fight the Philistine. Well, of course, I told him he was crazy, but he insisted, don't kill that man. He repeated, I know they're all out there singing about your courage, but I need you to be braver right now. And I couldn't believe it. What could be braver than what I'd volunteered to do? He was a fool, and I told him so. Told, her, told him I'd sooner die in combat than have a Philistine walk all over us. But he didn't budge. You think those are your only two options, he said. And that's a problem. You've got guts, David, but no imagination. He asked me if I could imagine any other way, something that maybe didn't leave his field soaked through with blood. His field, that's how he said it. He asked me what the Philistines want. What had driven them to our borders in the first place? And I told him to open his eyes. They wanted to make us their slaves, to steal our land and our families. And again, he just waved me off. You don't know what they need, he said. 
You have all been so caught up in your patriotic vanity that there's, no one's even stopped to wonder. And why should we stop to wonder, I asked him. I was getting irritated. I reminded him that God gave this land to our ancestors, that it was our right to defend it. On my honor, I told him, I would rise and fight for this land, which was our birthright, and by the might of God's right hand, I would claim the victory of the faithful of Israel. The Philistines will know, I said, that the God of Israel is mightier than their lifeless idols. And then he seemed to get mad. He stepped forward like I'd blasphemed. No, he said, they won't. All they'll know is that your God is just as much a bloodthirsty idol as theirs, and that your faith is nothing more but blind fidelity to a destructive masculine bravado. Masculine bravado? Who talks like that? He told me off for talking about honor. Don't pretend you're not an ambitious young man with a Joseph complex, he scolded me. <laughs> Don't pretend you're not looking for a path to power, a way to stand taller than your brothers for once. And I'll admit that got me. He saw right through me. I didn't like that. The daughter of the king, riches beyond imagination, the hearts of the people. He saw my ambition, saw it all the way up to the throne room of Israel. So, of course, I lied. I said my intentions were pure. And he just shrugged. Maybe they are now, he told me, but they won't be for long. He said violence and power would not leave my intentions untouched, and I was a fool if I thought they would. I told him he sounded like my brother. He asked if my brother was often wrong about things like that. He had me there, too. I didn't know what to say. So he starts in again. Don't fight him. Go drop your weapons. Ask what he wants. Negotiate. Don't give up your dignity, he said, but don't violate his. He told me if I lived by violence, then I would die by violence, and I would take all of Israel with me. Die by violence. It may seem stupid now, but I took that as an insult to my ability, like I needed to negotiate because I couldn't handle him on my own. Rubbish, I said. I can handle myself. I told him I'd struck down scores of bears and lions, predators that threatened my flock, and this Philistine was no different, a predator threatening the sheep of Israel. And to his credit, through all my ranting, he just listened to me. He didn't say anything. He let me finish, and then, with all the calmness in the world, he asked, Is that what this man is to you? A lion or a bear? Is he, too, not a child of the God you claim to serve, fearfully and wonderfully made? Is he, too, not a child nourished at the breast of a mother who loved him? Is he a dog to you that you would come at him with a stick, a sling, and a stone? He's a human being, David, just like you. He's nothing like me, I insisted. He's a Philistine. And he said, Philistine is just a word you came up with to make yourselves feel superior, something to ease your conscience as you strike them down. He told me to put myself in their shoes, to imagine what they needed, land to live on, food to nourish their children, families to care for them. How can you judge them for seeking these things the only way they know how? 
just like you do. I told him again that Goliath was nothing like me. And without hesitating, he said, David, but for a game of cosmic chance, it would be you on the other side of that valley. The only difference between you and him is that you were born on this side and he on that. And that is an accomplishment, he told me, for which you can claim nothing. And he was right. I knew he was right, but I, I couldn't let him be right, you know? It just couldn't be like that. So I started in about the prophets and what Samuel had said. And for the third time, he just waved my words off like they were smoke. And he sat back down on the couch. I know what the prophets say, he told me, with their nationalistic, theocratic nonsense. God's on our side. We're favored by God. Ah. He rolled his eyes. David, he said, as far as I can tell, God sends rain on us and them alike. If God truly has chosen sides, God has a funny way of showing it, don't you think? And who do you think you are, I asked. You can't be a prophet yourself, not in those rags. I told him he was dressed more like a shepherd, more like me. He seemed to think that was funny. I am the shepherd, he told me. But my sheep have strayed so far from my voice that they wouldn't recognize me if I stood right in front of them. And we were both quiet for a minute. And then I guess he decided to try one more time. You've got a chance, David, he said. You've got a chance to set this kingdom right. You have a chance to toss out the empty fears and the inflated pride of Israel and be a man after God's own heart. Come on. What do you say? I thought about it. I did. That man wasn't a fool. I could see that. The things he said made sense. And I might have listened, but, but then I thought of my father. I thought of my brothers and what they would say if I walked onto that field with nothing. What they would think watching me struck down defenseless by an uncircumcised Philistine. I'm sorry, I told him. This is something I've got to do. I turned to leave. That was my last word. But he called after me. It won't end today, David, he called. Don't think for a moment that this is one act of violence for the sake of peace. It is not. I swear to you, this violence will beget more violence, and that violence even more. You will solidify an enemy, David, and your people will die for it for generations. I turned to face him, and he looked me in my eye. Whatever your hopes for a legacy, David, he said, if you start down this path today, the songs they sing of you will tell only of your unbridled lust and the bodies that you left in your wake. Whatever progeny you hope to leave will be stained by bloodshed, killing one another in a never-ending quest for power. The kingdom will be torn asunder, and the wheel of violence will spin and spin until someone has the common sense to stop it. That could be you, David. That could be today. I think about that all the time. He knew, he knew exactly what would happen. His every word came to fruition. It wasn't a curse, not a punishment, just a fact. 
Anyway, when he was done, I blinked, and just like that, he was gone. None of the attendants had seen a man enter, and none had seen him leave. Never saw him again, except maybe out of the corner of my eye a few times. Your scriptures aren't going to tell you this, but I was scared. I wasn't scared of Goliath, not of the Philistines, but the stranger had put a lot on me. He gave me a choice, a vision, where previously I didn't have a choice. And what if it was wrong? The future of Israel handed to me in a moment. And look what I did with it. In the end, what he wanted from me took an imagination, a surrender, a courage that I did not have. But you, you still have time. So stop, I beg you, with stories about my bravery of a God that delights in the blood of men. Stop with the stories in children's Sunday school classes and your illustrated Bibles. When I slayed that giant that day, God wept. Find God, my siblings. Find God in the peace and justice where God is to be found. May you heed the voice of the stranger in a way that I could not. May you, people of God, become a people truly after God's own heart. Amen.